Hello. Welcome to Muriel's Murders. I'm Muriel, and I love true crime. I'm Nick, and I am not a fan. Thank you for joining us. Each week, I force Nick to listen to me tell him a story of a true crime. This week, we talk about scandal, betrayal, lust, and Lutherans. Okay. All right. That sounds very uh, salacious. We haven't done a love triangle thing yet, I don't There's think. a love triangle involved? <laughs> wow. Well, I can't, I... <laughs> I can't tell if you're being sarcastic. <laughs> I'm not. I'm pumped. <laughs> I'm actually... Really? Yeah. That's great. That's just hilarious. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure it's going to end up not being funny, but a love triangle, that's okay. You know why? Because love is in the air because we have other love to spread. We would like to thank the newest members of our Patreon, Brendan, Melissa, and Hallie. Yes. And thank you to everyone for leaving great reviews on Apple Podcasts. We're a tiny podcast and it helps us a ton. So thank you. You are special to us. We love you. Okay. Back to the show. And remember, this is a true story involving murder, violence, drugs, adult themes, etc. So if any listeners are like Nick and you don't want to hear about those kind of things, please consider listening to a different podcast. And we'll probably end up using swear words, so please consider yourself warned. All right, Nikki, are you ready to hear this story? No! Okay, let's get started. All right, I am very anxious to see how long you keep me waiting until we get to the love triangle part of this story. <laughs> so let's get on with it. What oh, you got for me? Okay, my romantic boy. We are going to start in Emporia, Kansas in 1983. All right. So this is a classic Midwestern town. And remember, right now, Reagan is president. <laughs> Yeah. Former dairy farmer John W. Carlin is the governor of Kansas. All right. Al Pacino's Scarface is taking the world by storm. <laughs> and the average cost of a new house is $88,000. Damn. That's pretty sick. <laughs> All right. So Emporia, Kansas is a mid-sized town in about 25,000 people. So it's not really a small town. It's uh -huh. like, it's a city. Early in its history, it was the first city in Kansas to have two colleges. Whoa. So it used to be called the Athens of Kansas. <laughs> and by the time of this story, yeah. uh, its largest employer was a meatpacking plant. So there's been some balancing out of you know, I don't know. Right. I get what you're saying. Dreams. and mm -hmm. Yeah. And the realities <laughs> of how it works. I'm just learning that Athens had colleges in it. So that's good. What? What? They called it the Athens of Kansas. Yeah. Because there was two colleges. Well, because it's like the center of learning. <laughs> okay. Well, now this is the center of learning. Do you not know that? I mean, I get it. The Athenians were philosophers or something. Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> he surprised me that got me all right we're gonna continue so this story centers around the young vibrant energetic families that comprise the congregation of faith lutheran church mm. so 32 year old sandra and thomas bird moved with their three kids from arkansas to kansas in 1982 yeah tom bird was this super charismatic young pastor and he was sent to emporia kansas by messiah lutheran a different church all right in missouri all right i'm gonna be real with you right now okay i don't understand religious terms and i tried really hard to figure out what the hell these guys are talking about <laughs> So you're like, um, I'm sorry, Jesus. No, what is no, that? it's like all of the different things. So there's in the Lutheran church, there's uh -huh. a thing called a synod. That's like, uh, I think it's like a diocese, you know, like one of those, mm -hmm, like an organizational body of people. And yes. Different deacons and ministers, pastors and, and reverends. I, <laughs> I was like, what is going on? So basically what's going on is, the Missouri Synod runs Messiah Lutheran, mm -hmm. right? And that body, along with the people who run Messiah Lutheran, 
decided that Messiah Lutheran had been growing so much in Missouri, they wanted to set up a sort of sister church in Kansas. So they took some of those resources and one of their pastors, and they sent them over to Emporia, Kansas, to start a new church. Got it. And this guy is, like, dynamic as anything, right? right. (laughs) In about a year, he had grown this new sister church in huge ways. Uh So it had grown in attendance. It was supported by this really activities oriented community of these young go-getters, like young families. Uh And they had a softball team and a volleyball team and a new daycare center and lots of people coming every Sunday. Yeah. I mean, just from my sort of understanding of the culture, the early eighties was like a huge boon for like the Christian church as a community center well i honestly just didn't know that Uh i I just didn't really grow up with uh, organized religion so i i've i've been to church before and i went to a catholic university yeah but i just i never really was like a part of that thing right but it seems to me like reading all of this fundamentally it's this social hub right you know so all of their social organizing and activities are kind of coming through the church so these people are they're playing all their organized sports together they're doing all of their community outreach together they're doing camping trips together different fellowship sort of exercises so everybody's oh it's a really like connected community right my understanding in that today's world a lot of people mourn the loss of that and, you know, I can understand that. Yeah. I don't think I understood how much it was, like, also a social community cornerstone. Yeah, right. I think I just never really thought of it like that. I mean, right. of course, that's kind of, I don't know. Of course, that's obvious maybe to most people. But <laughs> Yeah, but for some people who don't grow up in church, it's like, oh, yeah, church is a thing you do on Sunday. Right, exactly. Yeah. And this is, like, a whole lifestyle. Right. And so this is the environment that this whole story takes place. Okay, cool. So Tom Bird, the pastor, mm-hmm. has two master's degrees in theology um, and he was also a long distance runner in college and he loves sports he runs five miles every day yeah. and his wife Sandy is his high school sweetheart Aww. and Sandy's for her own part in this is just also super energetic yeah. sporty she's like petite with short brown hair it's funny I just want to say this I have read a bunch of stuff about this case and I find this to be something that happens often is that women are always described by the color of their hair more than anything. (laughs) It's like the guys are like, it's always the guys are their height and their weight. And women are always the color of their hair. Yeah. I I couldn't, it's hard to find more about her, but she's really interesting. She has a master's degree in mathematics Mm -hmm. and she taught classes at Emporia State University where she was also studying for an additional degree in computer math, which I think is 80s language for computer science. (laughs) Sure, sure. Can I say something about the height and hair color stuff? Yeah. That's the question that people ask you if you call 911. Right. I understand that. Yeah. For one person, but I'm just saying for women versus men, they, in a lot of the information that you get in articles, the men are like, he was a medium build, six foot two, you know, 180 (laughs) pounds, you know, really athletic. And the women are like, she had brown hair. Her hair was blonde. Her hair was short. It's like, doesn't say anything about it. Yeah, I guess people just think like the stature of a man plays into their personality on the equal level that the color and style of a hair defines who a woman is. It's really <laughs> odd. I think yeah. it, they just think it says a lot more than it does. Right. <laughs> um, so that is the birds, mm-hmm. right? Now, Sandy and Tom Bird met another couple, the Andersons, at a softball game. Uh, Lorna and Marty Anderson were also young, like in their early 30s. Mm. And they had four girls, an eight-year-old, a four-year-old, and a set of two-year-old twins. Marty was in the Army Reserve, and he worked as a medical technologist at Newman Memorial County Hospital. Mm -hmm. He was like a big, stocky guy, really athletic also. (laughs) I mean, I'll just say it like it is. That's all I know. (laughs) He was batting fourth for the softball team. (laughs) He was. Shortstop. He was was really into sports and stuff like that. Um, He also was on the board of directors for the local Optimist Club. What is a local optimist club? In my notes, when I was reading one of these articles, I wrote, what in God's name is this? (laughs) (laughs) Just like people who got together who decided the future was going to rock? Yeah. 
It is. Uh-huh. It's a national organization. They have chapters in different states. And the optimists, and they're still around today. The Optimist Club, they believe that things are awesome. Yeah. And they work with youth. So mm-hmm. their idea is to kind of promote positive attitudes yeah. among youth. Is there a Christian bent to it overtly? or They say it's kind of like interfaith. <laughs> their quote is something like, we're not religious, but we aren't amoral. Okay, well, a lot of people that are not religious are not amoral. Right, so I think they're like low-key just winking and smiling and saying, yes, we're kind of religious. (laughs) 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 But uh, but they're like super happy, peppy people, and they do community outreach. Uh And Lorna Anderson was this pretty (laughs) dark-haired, soft-spoken stay-at-home mom. And she was also a super active member in the community. She volunteered through this thing called Beta Sigma Phi, which is Mm. a non-academic sorority club. So it's like fellowship among women, and then they go out and do community outreach. So they were both like optimist club. Yeah. Beta Sigma Phi, yeah. plus they were members of First Presbyterian Church at mm-hmm. the time. So they were doing church every Sunday, Bible study, you know, all of the church activities. And that's how they met the softball game, which is like a church-sponsored softball game. Right. Okay, right? got it. So they're busy. Like when yeah. we say active, like <laughs> yeah. fun-loving, yeah. busy. They have clubs and games and practice. I mean, and- it makes me feel like I'm the laziest person <laughs> yeah. in the world. Like I was like, oh my God, I'm too tired. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, for no reason. Well, I just, we have a lot of Game of Thrones to rewatch. I know, Meryl. we watch like five Game of Thrones. How am I going to go, you know, have fellowship? <laughs> uh, it makes me actually feel kind of like an asshole. Yeah, right. Perhaps amoral. <laughs> All right. Um, so after meeting the birds, Mm -hmm. Lorna sort of checks out the Lutheran church, right? Mm -hmm. And at this point, the Lutheran church is renamed Faith Lutheran. Mm -hmm. So she goes and checks out Faith Lutheran and she realizes they have the best preschool in the area. It's called the Lord's Lambs and they needed a good preschool for their two twin Mm-hmm. daughters right, they have four kids it's right. like probably a huge plus side to being a part of church is that your kids are kind of taken care of and around other people yeah right yeah, totally. it's a great like socialization thing so yeah. they jump ship the andersons decide to put their kids in the lord uh i, I always want to say lord of the lambs <laughs> yeah. and i think it's just from silence of the lambs and lord of the flies <laughs> okay Right. So you see where my you see brain where keeps this is going. going. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, I mean just you know I don't know, man. Yeah. So the Andersons jump ship yeah. from First Presbyterian, and they fully join Faith Lutheran. Mm-hmm. They moved the whole family over. Lorna used to hand make these little immaculate church dresses for the girls, right? And they start mm-hmm. doing all the church activities. They're super heavily involved with the sports yeah. and with all of the fun fellowship stuff and all that kind yeah. of stuff. And eventually, Lorna even started working part-time as a secretary for the church. Mm-hmm. So now mm-hmm. she has a little part-time job. Her kids go to the preschool. Right. And the whole family is super involved in the church. She has brown hair. She has brown hair. <laughs> I'm assuming it's they're a- white also, I guess. <laughs> we'll just say that. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, so early on a November evening in 1983, Marty Anderson was murdered on the side of Kansas Highway number 177. So Highway 177 cuts through these sort of rolling cattle grazing hills. It's a really pretty little drive. And they were out running errands and they were kind of, as a family, in Mm -hmm. the family van with everyone there to look at the autumn leaves and then also run these errands. Oh my God. And he got murdered? Yeah. So basically they were driving home to Emporia. They had run some errands in this nearby town called Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And then Marty was shot to death during a struggle with an unidentified robber. In front of them? Yeah. His whole family witnessed it? Well, it was dark and the guy had a mask. So the girls just said that they saw like a flash from the gun, but they didn't really see anything else. Obviously, it was really unexpected and super tragic for the whole community. They're a really tight-knit community. Yeah, well, not to mention just completely traumatizing for the family that was right there. Yeah, right. So they had their memorial service at Faith Lutheran. Mm-hmm. And Pastor Bird presided over it. And Pastor Bird was super close to Lorna and like on her side, you know, by her side during that whole process, yeah. which also made sense 
because he could relate because his wife, Sandra, had died four months earlier in a car accident. What? She had driven off the road on a bad curve and then like crashed off this road and her car ended up upside down in this river underneath this bridge. So it had crashed like 50 feet below this bridge. Oh, no. So back to back, this church is just has a huge loss. Yeah, basically in the summer of 1983, Sandy Bird had found out she'd actually been promoted at the university, so she'd be teaching more classes in the fall. Mm -hmm. And she and Tom got this babysitter to celebrate, and they were super excited. And according to the babysitter, Sandy came home to the house around like 9.30 in the evening Mm -hmm. to grab a bottle of beer and some whiskey Mm -hmm. and just let the babysitter know they'd be home around 10.30. So they're like, we're going to go have a drink, and then we're going to come back. Yeah, And... The babysitter says, you know, around midnight, no one was home. And Tom was calling, frantically searching for Sandy. And Tom says that basically they went to have a drink at his office. And Sandy likes to take drives at night. So she took off. And he stayed behind at church to work on a sermon for the next day and take a run. He usually takes a run, thinks about a sermon, come home, writes it. Uh And then Sandy was going to pick him up from the church and take him home on her way home, right, from her drive. Yeah. But Sandy never came to pick him up. Oh, so the idea is she was drunk. Probably, right? That's the idea. So then the next day they found her body next to the station wagon underneath the Rocky Ford Bridge. Mm -hmm. And police said that it looks like she just missed the turn and accidentally drove off the bridge. Am I supposed to be feeling like the pastor in this story is up to no good? If you are listening to any story, you should always think that people are up to no good. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. All right. I also, I guess it's normal that he just gets drunk at his church office and runs and writes his sermons at night. I mean, that's cool. I like that. I, as a writer, I can relate to that, <laughs> but it also is like, okay, what's going on here? Well, don't don't quote me on this, but yeah. I was going through and I actually ran into a statistic while I was doing this research. Mm. Basically, they there was a survey taken, and it sounds like Lutherans drink the most out of any other religion in the u.s <laughs> oh in the u.s <laughs> yeah no not not in the world which I, yeah. it's funny i i didn't that seems odd to me for yeah, some reason it seems I, odd to me too right but yeah. I, I don't know i just read that quote yeah it could be nothing you know what am i i'm just a weirdo all right so we're back november of 1983 tom bird does marty anderson's eulogy at faith lutheran mm-hmm. and the community is just pretty devastated by two losses fairly close to one another. Obviously Lorna's beside herself and the local papers start running articles about Marty's death Mm -hmm. with this sort of skeptical bent to it. Uh Uh-huh. Right. So like what was robbed? What was the actual transaction of the actual violence? Right. There were a few things kind of circulating around Mm -hmm. the event. The main thing was it seemed odd to everyone that on this really desolate stretch of highway, there's not anybody there that they would pull over in the middle of nowhere and there'd be a robber in the field is the biggest point of like sort of suspicion. Right. And the papers who are interviewing troopers like are seeing that the troopers are also skeptical and the troopers are, you know, thinking that there's more to this story. Well, are they skeptical of the wife's testimony? Like yes. her witness account? And what about the kids' witness account? They're little, you know? Uh-huh. They're pretty young. And the only ones who can really... I mean, two of them are two years old. One of them's four. Uh-huh. So the oldest it says that they really couldn't see anything. But why did they even pull over? What's the accounting of the reason they stopped at all? Well, we'll get into that. Okay. So obviously Lorna's devastated. And then when she sees that the newspapers, like these local mom and pop newspapers are coming out and saying, oh, well, she's suspicious. She's beside herself. And the church still is rallying behind, you know, everyone Mm -hmm. in the situation. So her best friend or one of her close friends, Susan Erwert, called the Emporia Gazette and she says you guys are messing up Lorna and she's suicidal because of your article mm-hmm. right and the Emporia Gazette decided okay fine we're sorry 
why don't we have Lorna tell her story to the paper directly and we'll publish that. All right. Okay. So Lorna's story is she was driving the family van down 177 toward Emporia. So Lorna was driving. Yeah. And she had ate something bad in Manhattan, where they were in Manhattan, Kansas. Mm -hmm. And she had to pull over because she felt like she was going to vomit. And she got out and took the keys with her. Because Marty, I guess, according to Lorna, was always kind of harping on her that anytime you leave, never leave the keys in the ignition. Marty was sitting right next to her. And they're in the middle of the, a field. Right. But she it's like by force of habit. Okay. Right. So she takes the keys with her and she goes out to the field to vomit and she accidentally drops the keys in the field somewhere. So Marty gets out to help her look. And he tells her, go back in the van, turn on the headlights and shine the lights on me while I'm looking through the field. And as she's heading back to the van to turn on the light, she hears a man voice say, where's your wallet? And she turns around and she sees her husband being robbed by a masked man and the man shoots Marty. Then the masked man grabs Lorna and she puts he puts the gun to Lorna's head and fires, but the gun doesn't go off. So the masked man just runs away into the night. All right. So the shooting and the robbery all happens in the dark on the side of this unlit field. So that's like why the kids only saw like a muzzle flash. And that's Lorna's story. And at this point, there's no suspect. The police, I guess, probably are looking at footprints and ballistic things. And it's like adding up to nothing. Right. There's just nothing. They can't find Mm -hmm. anything out. But it's important to remember you know, Emporia is not a small town, but it yeah. is a small-ish town. Yeah. And because of the culture, you know, everybody knows each other yeah. on some level or another. Yeah. So when the local paper starts publishing things like that, it's like a really big deal. Right. Everyone knows who Lorna is. Yeah. So she's being tried in the court of public opinion, right. opinion already. Yeah. And, you know, she'd only lived in Emporia for about seven years. But even though she had... She and Marty were both from small Kansas towns that were about an hour out from Emporia. Yeah, this is their hometown, more or less. More or less. Like, Marty grew up outside of Wichita, and Lorna grew up in Hutchinson. And Hutchinson's, like, two hours from Emporia and one hour from Wichita. So they're all kind of triangulated Mm -hmm. next to each other. Yeah. And because of church and activities and the culture of the time and maybe, like, not a lot of internet or no internet. I don't really know when the internet was invented. <laughs> yeah, it was not in play quite yet. Well, she was being a math scientist or whatever they called it. Yeah, yeah, a computer yeah. scientist or yeah. whatever. Um, but my point is, is that because of all those things, people really, really knew each other, even though these cities weren't too small. Right. Because you're two degrees of separation from anyone else. It's like, oh, my brother-in-law's cousin goes to Faith Lutheran and then my neighbor's aunt's, you know... I don't know who's its name (laughs) plays on the softball team for the Presbyterian church. And so they know each other. It's just everybody really does know each other. Yeah. So the court of public opinion is very strong, you know, and it's super stressful. Yeah. You know, no accusations had been made at this point, but people were super skeptical. Like, why did you take the keys? And what are the odds of the bandit being right there? Right. Like people are all sort of, you know, their own backyard sleuth. Of course. And there's other things that had to do with the Andersons. They both kind of had a reputation in the community. So Marty was known as being both hard to like and kind of hard not to like. So they say he was really like funny and charismatic, but also could be aggravating. Yeah. He did a lot of practical jokes and Mm -hmm. sort of a type of needling type of humor. Yeah, he sounds like he's popular and kind of mean. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. That's the impression that I got. Mm -hmm. People were like, oh, yeah, he's really funny. But then occasionally it crosses over to mean. Yeah. And he had been known to needle his wife in public. Like, that's Mm -hmm. definitely something that people witnessed. He's a really big guy. He's over six feet tall. You know, he's in the Army Reserve. And he also, at his job at Newman Memorial, he had this sort of, (laughs) like what people described as an irritating drill sergeant sort of mannerism. So it sounds to me like what they're saying is like, maybe someone would want to kill him. Right. Or at least, right. I mean, kind of, or at least like that nobody's like, he wasn't this perfect 
guy. You yeah. know, there was definitely some tension. Yeah. But also, maybe he's hard to live with. You know, he used to get drunk at parties, mm-hmm. and he was known to maybe drink a little too much at parties. And then we'd play pranks that would have like bad consequences yeah. you know it's just yeah. stuff like that that's like i think a person who plays i love pranks like yeah. pranks are very fun yeah but a bad prank actually can it just sucks it's like it, it can be really mean oh hell yeah yeah i mean sometimes i mean oh i'll slap you in the face haha that's a prank i mean i'm not saying he hit his wife or anything <laughs> well speaking of that oh no yeah okay. yeah so they Ugh. did not mean to be joking about that yeah uh, he had a <laughs> It isn't something that is documented legally mm-hmm. in any way. It's more of a rumor. Yeah. But Lorna definitely has confided in different people that he used to hit her on yeah. times. And mm-hmm. it's complicated to piece together really what Lorna was like mm-hmm. because of, well, I don't know, rampant misogyny, you yeah. know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but people say that she was emotional. I see what you're saying. So she's unhappy in her marriage. Yeah. Generally speaking, she also used to call Marty at work at his lab in yeah. tears over different things that were happening at the house. Mm-hmm. She was known in the community as someone who maybe had, I hate to say this, but like had drama, right? Uh-huh. Or had needed comfort or yeah. sympathy from people in the community. Yeah. And would talk to people a lot about what was going on in her life. Right. So the misogyny in the world sort of labeled her as this like hysterical sort of. A little, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's like if all of the allegations of abuse are true, then, yeah. you know, this is a pretty um, unsympathetic. Yeah. It's like <laughs> portrayal. pretty okay to ask for a, a, a shoulder to lean on. Right. Yeah. The other thing that was going on with Lorna is that even though she didn't fit this stereotypical features of a scarlet woman she had a pretty hardcore reputation around town for sleeping with other dudes Uh so that's another thing that was a rumor uh yeah it sounds like what everyone's doing is is building a case for like why she's crazy and why it was okay for her to kill him i don't yeah it's odd so some women in the community who knew them wouldn't go to parties that the andersons were there because they were like she always hits on my husband oh so people were definitely solidly in that camp uh-huh. um she also was rumored to be involved with different men she worked with they would see her late at night at hotels with men mm-hmm. and she was also rumored to be involved with Pastor Bird. Yeah, I saw that one coming. Yeah. yeah. So from the time Lorna started working for Bird as a secretary in 1983, there were rumors about their relationship. Mm-hmm. And after Pastor Bird's wife died, after Sandra died in July of 1983, Lorna and Bird got way closer. Mm-hmm. And that's when the rumors got really bad. Yeah. So... The pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Missouri called Bird to tell him what people were saying and that the church elders of Faith Lutheran were concerned and requesting that Laura resign as a secretary. And <laughs> oh, so it's the secretary's fault? I know. Anyway, Bird sort of countered their argument by saying Lorna is in this really troubled marriage and he was simply counseling her. Mm-hmm. So all of the church elders, they all agreed that Lorna could remain his secretary as long as she only came to the church during the hour she was being paid for. So said, stop <laughs> showing up at other times. Oh so she's on probation. Uh, she's like not allowed to come to Sunday service. No, no, no. She is. She's allowed to participate in church yeah. and she's allowed to work. Yeah. But whatever she was doing in the gray areas, hanging out in his office, she's not allowed to do that anymore. So the one time she's not allowed to be there is the time that she would actually get the counseling that they're saying they believe him. Right. I mean, I think the counseling has finger quotes all around it (laughs) (laughs) from everyone's (laughs) perspective, but yes. Okay. So after Marty's killed and all these rumors are swirling around Lorna's involvement Mm -hmm. with Marty's death, Pastor Bird really stood by her side. Mm -hmm. And it's not uncharacteristic for him to do so. So he was known for really valuing what he called people over policy. Mm -hmm. The Missouri Lutheran Synod was like, is known for being super conservative. Mm -hmm. And he would say about himself, like, oh, I have a conservative interpretation of scripture, but I don't have a conservative 
view when it comes to helping manage my congregation. Like he's, he's way more about building people up rather than a religious leader that's more focused on rule breaking or uh-huh. who's being good in, in the congregation and who's not, you know? Right. It's like our rules are really, really strict, but I'm a chilled bro. Right. Like, He's a chilled bro. Out. Like I'm going to be by your side. I'm a stand up guy, even though the way I interpret the Bible is a uh, really hardcore. Right. But he is, he's a chilled bro. That's okay. what he says. And you know, for the most part, the congregants really rallied to his side. There was mm-hmm. a lot of closeness in this congregation. Yeah. And Pastor Bird, in turn, supports his congregants. So Pastor Bird stood by Lorna's side that entire time. He also stood by her side when a man came forward to police and said he was paid $5,000 by Lorna to kill her husband. Oh. And he stood by her side when she was arrested for conspiracy to commit first-degree murder. Hey, it's Rebecca Lieb. And I'm Jason Horton. And we are Ghost Town, a show about weird history, hauntings, unexplained events, true crime, and all kinds of bizarre phenomenon the world over. From unsolved murders to haunted manors. Satanic panic to internet mysteries. Buy a ticket to our abandoned amusement park. A VIP ghost pass to our haunted club? No. Bottle service. We have new episodes of Ghost Town every Wednesday and Friday, and you can find Ghost Town wherever you get your podcasts. So a man named Daniel Carter came to police after Marty's death. And he tells them he met Lorna when he first started cutting her hair in 1981 Mm -hmm. at the Mr. and Mrs. Salon. (laughs) So everything started off above board, just hair cutting for about a year. All right. And then in 1982, they started an affair together. Mm -hmm. And that lasted a few months. And then in August of 1983, Lorna asks Carter to find someone to kill her husband. Because at this point... Daniel Carter was working on a construction crew and she felt that he had like a good chance of finding a hitman <laughs> or at least a better chance of finding a hitman than he did when he worked at the salon. Right. She's like, I'm sure some of those ruffians over there know how to swing a hammer for bad. Right. So she gave Daniel Carter $5,000 and Daniel Carter's like, well, I don't know what to do with this. So he gives it to his boss, Gregory Curry, who then paid the $5,000 to a guy in Mississippi And that guy realized that no one could do anything if he just pocketed the money. So (laughs) he just jacked them for their $5,000. Good man. That guy's probably my favorite person so far in this whole story. So none of those people killed Marty, but they still don't know who did. So now there's a paper trail of people being like, yeah, she's been talking about killing her husband for years. Oh, it gets a lot longer. Oh, God. Uh, And at this point, Lorna pleads innocent to conspiracy to commit murder, but Daniel Carter pleads guilty. Now enters Daniel's brother, Daryl. Uh-oh. So this house builder named Daryl Carter, Daniel's older brother, was also having an affair with Lorna. (laughs) And Daryl told police that three months before Marty's murder, Lorna asked him to meet with Pastor Bird. And when Daryl met the pastor at Faith Lutheran, Bird asked him if he would be down to help with a murder plan that was already in progress. Now, he didn't do anything. Oh, thank God. (laughs) I mean, is he a murderer? Is he... Is he up to no good? No, I think basically both the brothers are coming forward saying they were solicit like somebody tried to get them to murder someone, but they didn't do anything. And they're like, my bad. We should have told you in the first place. We didn't. But now we are. But also, why them? What about their personality or their past made them seem like killers to these people? Just they worked in construction? Yeah, I think so. I think that's literally it. And these guys, these construction workers are like, yeah, you know this girl that we're both hooking up with? She wants me to murder this dude. The priest is involved. They're all sloppy. Like, I'm going to keep sleeping with her, but that's it. <laughs> not, not getting involved in these horrific schemes. Right. And also... Daryl Carter says after the first time they met, he didn't do anything. But then a few months later, Marty's killed, right? And then he gets a message from Lorna saying that Pastor Bird wants to meet up with him again just to reaffirm their trust. So he shows up, but he wears a wire. Just on his own volition? No, the cop. He's already gone to the cops. Okay, all right. So the cops set him up with a wire and he goes to record the conversation. And this ends up being kind of a mixed bag. We'll talk about that later when Mm -hmm. we talk about the trial, the whole recorded conversation. Yeah. But a really important thing that emerges at this point is that it becomes public that in an affidavit, Daryl Carter said during their first meeting, 
Pastor Bird told Carter when they're talking about killing Marty. Yeah. He tells Carter he knows of a place with a bend in the road and a 50-foot drop into a river and that they were planning on drugging Marty and running the car off the road into the river, which is pretty much exactly where his wife died earlier that right. year. Right, and how she died. Right. Right. So Bird was then arrested for criminal solicitation to commit first-degree murder. Good. All right. <laughs> so Good. Both of them are in jail. And members of the church posted his bond and rallied around him. They love Pastor Bird. They called the whole thing a terrible mistake. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. And not the devil's work. They're like, this is oop. This is a this is an oopsie. They not say a divine a- plan to tear down their Christian leader. It's all a big misunderstanding. Daryl's mistaken. This doesn't make any sense. I'm sure he didn't have anything to do with it. Blah blah blah. All right. And the church elders managed to convince Bird <laughs> to take a break from delivering services like sermons until his trial date <laughs> right they're like okay you can come back but maybe you shouldn't do these sermons <laughs> yeah right no more and no more office hours also right but bird's trial date gets postponed and he gets antsy and he says well i'm just going to retake the pulpit and he starts delivering sermons again whoa so against do- the wishes of his higher ups i mean he has the authority to do it mm-hmm. you know so they're they're more or less just saying that's a bad idea Right. And then he's saying, hold my Diet Coke. I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> yeah. And if you stop me, it turns out I'm a murderer. So uh, Right. So, <laughs> so watch yourself. Watch yourself. Right. So he's delivering sermons. There's a lot of press at this point covering these sermons and being outside of the church when those things are happening. Because oh, obviously. the camera crews are showing up. I mean, he's going to be on trial yeah. for conspiracy to commit murder. Yeah. And he's delivering sermons at this nice, cute little church right. <laughs> in Emporia, Kansas. Now, the conspiracy is for Marty, but so far no charges have been brought against him about the mysterious death of his wife. Exactly. Okay. So this is all about Marty. Okay. So people started dropping out of the church, mm-hmm. obviously. <laughs> yeah. And eventually he was forced to resign. Mm-hmm. So two months after his arrest... He ends up making a farewell speech to Faith Lutheran. Mm -hmm. And he was a little bitter boo. (laughs) He's pissed. A little bit. This is a quote from his farewell speech or his farewell sermon. Quote, when I remained silent, I was judged to be unfair for not informing people. When I have spoken, I was judged to be defensive. When I looked depressed, I was judged to be full of self-pity. When I smiled and looked strong, I was judged to be failing to take matters seriously. When I acted timid, I was judged to be weak. When I acted boldly, I was judged to be manipulating. When I was indecisive, I was judged to have lost my leadership capacity. When I act decisively, I was judged to be using my position to railroad matters. To multiply the anguish of my predicament, I only hear these judgments second or third hand so that I cannot share directly what is in my heart and my intentions to my accusers within the congregation. So basically saying all you people are haters and you're hating on me behind my back. Everything I do, you have something snippy to say about it. Double middle fingers to each and one and every, each and every one of you. I'm out. Yeah. And I murdered my wife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, can you just like boo hoo, dude? Yeah. But the main focus of this is that he hates rumors. You know, like <laughs> he's like, do not stop talking shit about me. Yeah, you right. know, uh, so. He also sounds like an exhausting orator for what it's worth. <laughs> it's like, all right, dude, you made your point like seven <laughs> sentences ago. Uh, sounds like me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously things are crashing down around Pastor Bird's ears. The mm-hmm. other thing that's going on is Sandra Bird's family is on to him. They ask authorities to reopen her case and investigate the physical evidence of her death again. Yeah. So that starts happening. And also... This is my favorite thing about small-ish town crimes yeah. is that a bunch of townspeople started conducting their own experiments on the bridge. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so people were going down to the bridge and determining how far she would have to drive to crash over and right. like the consistency of the gravel and how the car landed and how fast <laughs> like, it was going. <laughs> they're like, the, the babysitter said she had a whiskey and a beer. Well, I've had four of those and I'm taking this curve like a champ right, right now. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's funny. I 
I mean, they are doing more uh, investigation than the police seem to do initially. So <laughs> yeah, right. maybe it's not so crazy. Yeah. Uh, so due to a bunch of legal complications with the trial, Tom Bird's trial was actually held before Lorna's, even though Lorna was arrested first. Mm-hmm. So we are going to talk about the trial. All right. Tom Bird's parents came up from Arkansas mm-hmm. and his dad was actually a Lutheran pastor as well. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, a little son of a preacher man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they write songs about guys like this. All right. Sorry. <laughs> and Sandra Bird's parents came up also, mm-hmm. and they totally avoid Tom's parents at the trial. So obviously something's up there. Yeah, I can imagine so. It's like my daughter's dead and probably your son did it. Like right. And not- he's on trial right now. Right. For a different murder. The husband of the woman he was cheating on our daughter with. Right. Yeah, they're not hanging out. It not it, it doesn't look good. Yeah. So the press turnout was huge mm-hmm. and actually for the first time in their county's history, they allowed a fixed TV camera in the courtroom. So they were filming it and there was tons of press turnout. Mm-hmm. That actually bothered the defense. The defense wanted to get the trial moved to a different county mm-hmm. because of all the rumors right. and all of the press coverage. It was right. just such a a huge case in a smallish town. Yeah, totally. And it's just like, what you're going to bring a jury in here or whatever. Like they're going to be tainted by public opinion and right. all that. I've read that Kansas kind of has a history of like not moving trials to different locations. Oh, they don't play that game. They don't play that game. They yeah. think you need to be judged by your peers and right. your peers live in your city. Yeah. And they know everything already. Right now, members of faith Lutheran were testifying for both the defense and the prosecution. Mm. And the trial was a circuit. And there were all these good Lutherans sort of crowding in to see which rumors were true. Mm -hmm. There were all of these rumors. One of them was that they thought the police were compiling a list of all of the people that Lorna had slept with in the town. And like people were saying, oh, I heard it's like 110 people. And it's all, you know, like just a lot of that kind of stuff. One person told the Emporia Gazette, quote, I've never been to anything like this before. I feel like I know them all. I've heard their names so many times before. <laughs> so it's like definitely not a great sort of vote of confidence for how unbiased the jury is going to yeah, be. Yeah, right. And everyone's just writing themselves into this narrative about like how special it is that they get to be involved in yeah, this like I, horrific tragedy. Well, tr- I feel like trials are always like that. Yeah. People are like, this is the story of my life. Yeah, you know, right. I don't know. We're all inherently selfish. Yeah. Uh, so the prosecutor's case rested... Mostly on the idea that Pastor Bird and Lorna were lovers, which hasn't really been established yet in any sort of evidence. Mm -hmm. Marty had a $400,000 life insurance policy. Uh So the prosecution's basically saying Pastor Bird and Lorna wanted the money. Uh And they wanted to hook up and be together. Right. right? So that's why Lorna didn't choose divorce. (laughs) They were just like, just murder him instead. We'll get a bunch of money. God, 400,000. It's just not that much money. In the 80s, it was a lot of money. But how much? It's not 100 million. I mean, I'm just saying. It's just like people... It just seems like that's small potatoes to take life. I don't know. It's really gross. Well, now we know what your price would be. $100 million. (laughs) So the prosecution brought up a parade of witnesses. They mm-hmm. brought up the babysitter of the Andersons who said that she heard Lorna stay on the phone. I can't wait for Marty to die. I can't wait to count the green stuff. Oh, my God. Which, like, who talks like that? <laughs> I don't know. I was like, my hackles went up. I was like, she didn't say that. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. A woman Lorna worked with testified that Lorna told her she used the church's connection with fundraising for the National Heart Institute to book fake trips and hotels with Pastor Bird. So she's Mm. saying, yeah, they definitely were doing it. Oh, I get it. The Anderson's daughter, Lori, actually took the stand and testified she saw Bird and Lorna hugging once. And... Daryl Carter was the prosecution's star witness, mm-hmm. right? So he testified all about his meetings with Bird, and he said that during one of their meetings, Pastor Bird said, quote, I'm a man of God, and I'm going to kill Martin Anderson. <laughs> I feel like all these quotes are way too on the nose. I know, I know, but that's what they said in the trial. They like really said him right on the nose. Oh, my God. Um, the prosecution did reveal that the $5,000 Lorna was attempting to use to hire an assassin mm-hmm. came from Pastor Bird. More specifically, it came from Sandra Bird's life insurance policy payout. So he used that money to 
pay for someone to kill Marty's. Well, I guess it's an investment. He's like, I made this profit, take a ch- chunk of it, kill this guy, get that life insurance. I don't know. That's <laughs> very horrible. I Nick. know. I don't know. I mean, that's what this person is, I guess. It's some horrific capitalist. I don't know. All right. Daryl also testified that Lorna had actually asked him to kill Marty for the first time a year prior to his death. And at that time, he declined to kill Marty, but he did end up having that months-long affair with Lorna. (laughs) So now Pastor Bird takes the stand. All right. And, you know, he says the first meeting that Lorna brokered between the two men, between himself and Daryl Carter, Mm -hmm. was to talk about kids in the youth group working at Carter's firework stand in the summer, which is like, (laughs) yeah, right. Lorna brokered that meeting to talk about the fireworks stand. Come on, man. And then basically Bird told the court that during the second tape meeting with Carter, he simply wanted to confront Carter for spreading rumors about him. He said the reason why he arranged the second meeting with Daryl Carter was because he knew that Daryl Carter, who was married, was having an affair with the chick who ran the Lord's Lambs preschool. And that Bird wasn't the only person someone could spread rumors about. So he just oh my God. wanted to have this meeting <laughs> to just threaten him a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Not super Christian, my dude. Yeah, he's like, don't worry. We were not talking about killing anyone. We were just insanely petty. Right. Just arguing about who's sleeping with who and that I know your secrets, right? Um, can I just also interject with one thing? What? Being a kid in the 80s and working at a fireworks stand must have been one of the most fun things in the whole world. I completely agree with you on that. Okay, so remember what I was saying about Daryl Carter wearing a wire Mm -hmm. for their second meeting? Yeah. Here's the thing. He wore a wire and they talked, but Pastor Bird used this sort of like bullshit coded language the whole time. Yeah. You know, so it really came out as a wash. Like he didn't really get him saying anything specific on this wire. Right. Like all those tapes of the mafia dudes being like, yeah, we got some uh, mortadelle over here. Right. And they're just talking about like the guy who's dead in the freezer. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, It's basically like that. Sure. So the prosecution marches on. They also present love letters Mm -hmm. from Pastor Bird to Lorna that they found in Lorna's underwear drawer Mm -hmm. and they read these letters out loud and Pastor Bird says that they were simply an expression of authentic Christian love. (laughs) Okay. This guy is like kind of a bullshit artist, I think. Yeah, I would say so unless a bunch of other women from the church also come forward saying, yeah, I have letters from him. They're not love letters. He just uh, expresses authentic Christian love. Well, they didn't come out at trial. All right. (laughs) Bird also says that anyone who saw them hugging didn't understand that Lorna had self-esteem issues and required a lot of comforting. Oh, so that's why I was caressing her. (laughs) So the case kind of came down at the end of the day to do you believe Daryl Carter or do you believe Pastor Bird? Mm -hmm. And despite all of this evidence pastor bird actually had a lot of character witnesses while daryl carter had admitted on the stand to having two affairs with married women and also one guy he built a house for took the stand and said that daryl carter was the biggest liar in 10 counties (laughs) in 10 counties (laughs) you know that's some kansas shit right there he was mad about something (laughs) but ultimately pastor bird was adamant that he and Lorna weren't having an affair, which everyone knew wasn't true. Right. You know what I mean? Like in their hearts, in the rumors, in the heart of this town, they all know that that's not true. So it really affected this idea of the good character defense. Yeah. Right. It's like, you're not being on trial for cheating on your wife. So just admit that part. Right. It's so obvious to everybody, but also it gives you a good sense of how, you know, charged and biased this room is. You right. know, it also gives me a good sense of how delusional he is that he thinks that people will take him at that word. Yeah. So at the end of the day, the jury finds Pastor Bird guilty of conspiracy to commit murder and he gets sentenced to two to seven years in the state penitentiary. All right. After Tom Bird's sentencing, Sandra Bird's body was exhumed, yeah. re-autopsied, 
after which Tom Bird was charged in her murder as Whoa. well. Whoa. All right. What are they saying happened? Well, we'll get to that in a second All right. because we're going to go straight to Tom Bird's murder trial. But I just wanted to throw in a little piece of information. There was a lot of drama right at the beginning of the trial because during Tom Bird's first trial yeah. for conspiracy to commit murder, right. turns out Lorna had moved back to Hutchinson, Kansas and gotten remarried. Damn, that was fast to who? <laughs> this guy, he was a super, super Christian dude and he sang in a gospel quartet. And <laughs> his name was Randy Eldridge. And they like got married and she moved back home. Whoa. So back to the trial. The trial starts for the murder of Sandra Bird. Yeah. And the prosecution presents this forensic evidence that they collected that suggests that Pastor Bird hit Sandra in the back of the head with a blunt object and then tossed her over the bridge. And then he pushed the car off the bridge and then he kind of climbed down, grabbed her body and dragged it to the car and like left it next to the car. So it looks like she was ejected from the car. Oh my God. What a horrible, horrible, horrible way to kill someone. Yeah. I mean, it's terrible. That is awful. Moving the body afterwards and it's your wife. Oh my God. God. And the evidence at the crime scene that they present yeah. is there were no skid marks leading off the bridge. So there was no attempt to stop yeah. from the car. There was blood actually on the bridge and dripping off the bridge yeah. into the plants underneath. And she didn't have any alcohol in her system at the time of death. Mm. The other thing was is that the seat of the car was pushed way back. So Sandra Bird was five foot one. Oh. Uh. And right. somebody hat taller had to be driving the car. Yeah. And I got to say, I'm pretty surprised that that didn't come up when they were investigating her death. Yeah, initially? Yeah. I know. I that mean, sounds... that seems like a lot of physical evidence that they were just like, well, she probably just fell off anyway. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's really, really trippy. So Pastor Bird is convicted of first degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. Good. I mean... Do you have any reason to believe that he's innocent? The arguments for him uh -huh. were that it was mostly circumstantial evidence. So they didn't have recordings, fingerprints, confession, anything like that. It was mm -hmm. a lot of circumstantial evidence. Yeah. So that's the argument. Okay. And then the other argument is that he didn't get a fair trial because there was so much press around it. So I'm not saying anything, but I do, I would be remiss if I didn't say that that's what the argument is against yeah, this conviction. Right. And there's, I mean, that's fair. So a month after Bird's murder conviction, Lorna's conspiracy to commit murder trial began. Mm -hmm. And she took the stand and she said, I believe it was in June, 1983, Thomas Bird and I met with Daryl Carter at Faith Lutheran Church. During that meeting, we discussed various ways of murdering my husband, Martin Anderson, because this chick had struck a plea bargain while no one was looking. Oh, yeah. So after all that, she just went up and just admitted to everything. Yeah. She also set the record straight. She says she and Bird started an affair in the spring of 1983, just a few months before Sandra Bird's death. To the surprise of no one. <laughs> I mean, I honestly... Being a married person myself, yeah. I am surprised that it just took a couple months. Well, it, just a couple of months, and then within a couple of months, both of the spouses are dead? I mean, it's a big... I'm not saying any murder is justified. That's not what I'm trying to say. Yeah. But like, you know, you would think about something that was simmering over five years or yeah, a year right. or something like that. Right. Like, there are cases where obviously many, many cases where people murder their spouses yeah. over love triangles. Yeah. But I mean, it's just a relationship that's so new. It just seems like they just wanted to kill someone. Yeah, to me. Right. They were just waiting for a good excuse. They were just like, I'm a live wire. Are you a live wire? Oh, look at that. Sparks are happening. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's kill some people. That's a pretty good metaphor for this. Yeah, well, actually. I just, thinking back to the beginning of this episode when I was so excited about the love triangle. Boy, yeah, right. Yeah, boy, that's what I get for. <sighs> Being excited about love triangles. <laughs> I mean, she said later in this interview with the Los Angeles Times about their relationship, she said, I had a real problem not feeling good about myself. 
Tom was very supportive, very encouraging. He told me that I was not what he needed in a wife, but that he could make me into what he needed. Whoa, manipulator. And then for his part, later, Bird's quoted saying this of their relationship, quote, she was emotionally attached to me. And on my end, there was a need to be needed. I liked the idea of being needed. So I unprofessionally let that happen. But it was more emotional than physical. <laughs> His grand sin in this whole thing is that he was unprofessional. That's how he talks about his yeah. part in this. It's really interesting to listen to him sort of soft shoe his way through all yeah. of this stuff. It, it sounds like that all the time. Yeah. So Lorna pleads guilty to two counts of criminal solicitation to commit first degree murder mm -hmm. and received a sentence of five to 18 years. Mm -hmm. Even with Lorna's guilty plea, a lot of members of Faith Lutheran stayed behind Pastor Bird. They all thought Lorna was lying about Bird even being involved. Yeah. And then this is the crowd of people who say the evidence is really circumstantial. And the mm -hmm. trial should have been moved to a different county. Right. So who did kill Marty? Well, in 1988, Lorna pleads guilty to second degree murder. She says she knew Marty would be murdered when she stopped her van on the side of the road. And she fingers Tom Bird as the gunman. She even gives police tips that lead them to an irrigation pond where they find the gun used in Marty's killing. Oh, wow. And it's Marty's gun, which I was just like, damn. <sighs> so right. they go to trial. Mm -hmm. Remember, Lorna has pled guilty already at this point. Yeah. They go to trial for Pastor Bird, and he's acquitted of everything. They acquitted? Don't, they don't convict him. They say there's not enough evidence. So Lorna is sentenced to 15 years to life for second degree murder. Mm -hmm. And then Pastor Bird just serves the rest of his sentence for conspiracy to commit murder for Marty and first degree murder for his wife. So he's going to be in jail for a long time, even though he's not convicted in Marty's actual killing. Yes. Yeah. He actually ends up serving less time than Lorna, though. At the end of the whole thing. So in 1990, mm -hmm. of course, Lorna and Randy Eldridge get divorced. <laughs> that was not a great yeah. start to a marriage. Yeah, Randy was like, whoops, wow. <laughs> that was a vortex. So Lorna obviously is in prison and she earns her college degree with honors in prison from University of St. Mary. Okay. And then in prison, she met a child welfare officer named Terry Moore. So Terry Moore worked for an organization that was helping her daughter, Lori, at the mm -hmm. time. It was helping her daughter, Lori, visit her in prison and do other things with her life. Okay. So Terry would escort Lori to the prison for visits. And that's how he got to know Lorna. In 2004, she married Terry Moore. She has got away with her. I know. People love to get married to her. And... Like I said, even though she committed lesser crimes overall, she ended up doing more prison time than Bird. So she had 21 years in total. Uh -huh. Now, current day, 2021, yeah. she's out of prison, living back in her hometown of Hutchinson, married to Terry Moore, and she's the CEO of a nonprofit called Interfaith Housing. And that's a faith-based nonprofit that helps find housing for low-income people and teaches financial planning classes. Well, I hope she's sorry for what she did, and now she's helping people. <laughs> I hope that that's true. I is it seem like a legit organization? Yeah, they actually released a press release that mm -hmm. detailed her whole life and uh -huh. how she felt about it and her side of things and yeah. how she came to. I just was like, damn, that's a turnaround. Yeah, well, I mean, hopefully, her Christianity had a shred of authenticity within her that there's there was some spirituality there and she you know is now helping the world be a better place well she looks very happy in all her photos <laughs> um, with for, hair as brown as an oak tree <laughs> um okay so whatever happened to bird so pastor bird in 1988 right around the time that lorna was saying that he killed her husband mm -hmm. you know remember that other murder trial, <laughs> yeah. uh, he actually remarried in prison as well. 
Damn. He married a preschool teacher named Terry Lynn Smith, who he met at a church function shortly after his wife's death, slash shortly after he killed his wife, (laughs) while he was actively having an affair with Lorna Anderson. (laughs) So that's how they met. Really cute, be cute story. And in prison, he started an organization called Convicts for Christ. Mm -hmm. And then later, he taught a marriage enrichment course to other inmates with the help of his new wife, Terry. I would love to take that class. I (laughs) want to know some of the tidbits he's dishing out. As of 2004, he lived in Kansas and was working as a fucking marriage counselor. Oh my God. <laughs> and to this day, yeah. he has never admitted guilt to any of the crimes he was convicted or suspected of committing. He's never admitted any guilt. This is a quote from him from the Los Angeles Times while he was still in prison. All right. And this is kind of about how he wasn't getting granted parole because he wouldn't admit uh-huh. that he was guilty. Mm-hmm. He says, quote, I can't take responsibility for what I've been convicted of. I took my wife's life for granted, but I didn't take her life. I can't take responsibility for the crime. Freedom is a state of mind. When I'm locked up in here, my freedom has been taken away. But a more important freedom is the freedom from the condemnation of your own conscience. I couldn't leave here and know that I lied just to be free from prison. He is a good guy. He is rock solid. Well, actually, I want to say he's a complete psycho. I don't know. Could he be innocent? I mean, he says he is. I kind of think that he's full of shit, and I'm yeah. super mad that he's a marriage counselor. Yeah, I mean, that's And I'm ridiculous. mad that the prison let him. Like, the, like it's insane <laughs> that they have a convicted wife murderer in prison who they're, like, allowing to teach marital classes. And on top of that, that's the type of thing that helped qualify him for parole. Right. That's what got him out early. I mean, I just feel like the deep horse shit hypocrisy thing. <laughs> yeah, right. It's just really epic. There's a guy named Dave Racer mm-hmm. who put out a book called Caged Bird, mm-hmm. all about how he thinks Pastor Bird is innocent. Also, I'm like, Caged Bird, my Angelou took that, dude. You should... <laughs> it's so weird to Google that. Yeah. It took me a long time to find it. Because <laughs> it's buried in the search optimization. So just because I'm feeling petty, there are seven reviews. Most of them are bad. Here's one of the one-star reviews of Caged Bird. All right. Okay, the title of the review is, quote, Bad Beyond Belief. (laughs) For the past 20 years, I've read an average of 40 books per year. This book is without a doubt the most poorly written I've ever read. I only hung on through its repetitious hundreds of pages because I was interested in the murders that happened in a familiar locale. Early on, Racer thanks his volunteer, father, proofreader. (laughs) He should have sprung for a pro. The punctuation in this book is not to be believed. A third grader could do better. Beyond being poorly written, the book is totally one-sided and defies logic. I think this guy has his own publishing company, which may explain how this sorry work ever got into print. Damn. (laughs) Well, I will say that I relate to that guy being a self-published writer who can't really write. I mean, I haven't done that, but we're putting out a podcast. You know what I mean? There are parallels. <laughs> He's kind of our people. I do wonder if um, maybe is it possible that Bird could have written that himself while he was in jail i mean we no dave racer is really like this huge he's a real guy and it's this huge supporter of bird all right i don't even think he knew him he like knew him from a friend of a friend but he was outraged that the pastor was in prison it's just like okay dude (laughs) uh so to conclude no one has ever been charged in the death of martin anderson Hmm. and faith lutheran church is alive and well and still holds services today. <sighs> well, God bless them. I'm sure they do. Literally. A lot of- <laughs> well, I'm sure they do a lot of good in the world. Uh, how are you feeling about your first like murder triangle true crime story? Um, 
it makes me feel a little dirty that the people are still out there in the world. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It feels like we're involving ourselves in the story. <laughs> Just like how those people at the trial felt like they were really had something to contribute and were like a part of the narrative. You yeah, know but I mean? that's like, that's what true crime is. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, that's why we're drawn to those stories because we are those people. We're just doing it from a podcast. (laughs) So for this episode, we used information from the essay by Calvin Trillin Mm -hmm. uh, that he originally wrote for The New Yorker. The essay is called Rumors Around Town. It's an awesome essay if you get a second. It's, It's a great read. And the other resource I used was an article called Who Killed Sandy Bird? And that was by Scott Craft for the LA Times. Muriel. What? You nailed it. Did I? Yeah, you did. Listen, a little while back, you said you don't like stories that have a lot of trial in them. And then I wrote this one and I was like, oh, no, this is like 70 percent trial. So I hope you liked it. Muriel, you did a damn good job of making a trial fun. You want to know what my favorite part about doing this podcast is? Yes. You gassing me up at the end of every (laughs) podcast. I'm proud of my wife. Thank you so much for listening to Muriel's Murders. As always, Muriel did all the research and I did all the sound engineering, editing, and post-production. To help support this podcast and to unlock exclusive episodes, please sign up for our Patreon at www.patreon slash Muriel's Murders. I also draw and animate little bonus content for Muriel's Murders, plus Muriel and I collaborate on some pretty fun animations, and those are the bits of art that populate our social media feed, so you can please find us at Muriel's Murders on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube and TikTok if you want some cartoons in your life. That's right. If you want to look inside Nick's crazy brain, (laughs) you will find some delightful cartoons. Uh, Our DMs are open. Hit us up. Plus, you can email us at muralsmurders at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this, rate and review Muriel's Murders on Apple Podcasts because it really does help us grow. Our music is by Mario Castellini. Find him on Instagram at Castellini Beats. Thank you to Ryan and Ryan at Campfire Media. And if you want more of me and Muriel minus the murder podcast, check out our (laughs) non-murder podcast. Hella in Your 30s comes out every Monday wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much. See you next time. I'm Kate Thompson. And I'm Mark David Christensen. And together we host, ah, crap, a Hellboy podcast. The show dedicated to the half-demon hero brought forth by writer-artist Mike Mignola and published by Dark Horse Comics. Each week we discuss everything Hellboy. Plus his expanded universe with the BPRD, Abe Sapien, Lobster Johnson, and many more. That's ah, crap, a Hellboy podcast on Campfire Media or wherever you get your podcasts. Campfire.